Um, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, if anybody don't, doesn't, don't know me, my name's Zach Halligan. Uh, I've gone to church here. I'm a first service guy usually, so if, you know, some kind of don't recognize all the faces, but um, yeah, the staff's gone on a retreat, so like the first part went smoothly, and this is where it usually comes off the rails, so, but Linda will wrap it up at the end too, so we'll be all right, but um, I appreciate everybody coming this morning. If you're new, we're really glad to have you. We're excited to have you. Come back next week and um, see what it's like, because I'm really going to give like a total opposite sermon of what you usually hear, because, um, you know, Sean is really good. I mean, he could do a four-week sermon series on three words in the Bible, and we're going to do the exact opposite of that today. So if you want to turn your Bible to Judges, um, we're actually just going to kind of look at the life of Samson and jump around a little bit, kind of work through the life of Samson and uh, talk about some lessons from Samson. And, and one of the reasons, one of the things that kind of got me thinking about that was, you know, there was a time in this country um, when we look at like our celebrities and our really, really rich people, these people that are kind of on top and these celebrities we have, there was a time where they were covered by the media and looked at a lot different than they, than they are today. You know, if you go back in the 30s and 40s, lots of times the media wouldn't record all the personal stuff that they would see. Like maybe you take like baby Ruth, for example, they weren't printing in the media all his activities at night and things like that. And as me, who's 39 years old, I kind of grew up with, uh, as a young child, with the Clinton situation. And through the early 2000s, I think the greatest example of what I'm talking about when we talk about this kind of new culture we live in with celebrity scandals, which I think a lot of us love to consume that information. Um, you know, it's Tiger Woods. You know, you have this guy who was marketed. I think the difference with Tiger Woods is he was marketed to us as this perfect, individual, boring guy, golfer, really good, family man, no real. And then the stories kind of caught it coming out. And I feel like that was probably 10, 15 years ago. And now I feel like this is just the kind of normal wave of celebrities. You're just kind of waiting for you know, the scandal to start. And I think we've kind of almost look at them differently than we do. And the reason I bring that up is because I think with celebrities, they have so much power and so much opportunity in today's day and age. And that's why I bring that up is because I think Samson in a lot of ways was the same. Samson was this big, powerful kind of celebrity of his day. And the thing about the celebrities and things like that is we all know we, we face temptation all the time and we all fall all the time, but when you take something and you make it bigger, the falls and the follies are always so much bigger, right? They're so much more exaggerated because of all the other things that happen and all the other things they influence around them. And it was kind of the same way I look at Samson. I mean, everything he did, his mistakes blew up so big. You know, his, uh, he, he, when he got upset and, and, and his, the things he did were so big and the mistakes ended up being so big for Samson as well. And I think that's why we're going to look at him today because I think, one, it kind of highlights, it promotes, it makes things bigger, it, it accentuates things. But I think also, I think there's also some specific things we can learn for Samson that I think are really... Um, I think really there's a, there's a real correlation to the way Samson is and a lot of the ways we are today. 
So we're going to hop into it. Like I said, I'm going to kind of tell a lot of the story. We're going to jump around a little bit, and we're going to have three lessons from Samson from three different parts of his life. If we know um, Samson's about three chapters in the book of Judges long, um, Samson was a judge. So the judges in Israel were basically this was... Uh, Basically, what you had with judges was this was before the kings, but after they were in the promised land. There was these other nations in the promised land that God asked them to get rid of, to conquer, that the Israelites didn't, and they ended up haunting them. As the Israelites fell away from God, worshiped idols and things like that, God sent these other nations to inhabit them, to rule over them, and then sometimes he would send a judge to liberate them from that nation. So right now we have the Philistines that are over, are reigning over Israel, and God has sent Samson to begin the liberation of Israelites from the Philistines. And so we have the chapter where he's born, and then as soon as he's born, we have Samson telling his parents that he wants to marry a Philistine, Philistine woman. Now one thing, if you're going to describe Phil Samson in a nutshell, one good way to describe him is this guy hated Philistine men, but he loved Philistine women, as far as we can tell from the text. So Samson wants to marry a Philistine woman. Um, his parents say, well, why don't you look inside your own family, which is in Polk County, we can relate to that. <laughs> or why don't you look in the Israelites? He said, no, I want to marry this Philistine woman. God said he was going to use this to defeat the Philistines. So his father and mother say, okay, they go down there. On their way down there, a lion comes to attack and Samson tears the lion apart with his bare hands. Another amazing feat of strength. Later on, he, they meet the women. He says, okay, I like her, she likes me. We're gonna go ahead with this. On his way back, that's where we're gonna pick up the story. We're gonna pick up the story in chapter 14, verse eight. And it says, this is Samson returning. It says, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, Kind of a very small thing. Well, I don't think taking a beehive out of a lion's carcass is a small thing. If that would be a big story I would tell in my, my day. But for the things that Samson did, not so much of a big thing, but here's the problem. Samson was what they call a Nazarite, which it describes the vow of a Nazarite in, in numbers, excuse me, but um, it was a vow to God, and it was something that it was, means he was set apart. And there was a certain things that, that Samson was not supposed to do, and this was kind of the deal that he made with God, where he was not supposed to eat anything from the grapevine or drink anything from the grapevine. He was not supposed to cut his hair, and he was not supposed to be around dead things. And so Samson sinned against God by taking this honey out of it, and not only did he do that, he caused his parents to sin as well by not telling him where he got the bees, the honey, excuse me. And here's the thing, here's a real, it's, it's kind of a real simple thing. It doesn't really seem like a big deal today, but the, and when you look at Samson's life and you look at Samson's follies, this is pretty small, you know, as later on we're going to talk about how many thousands of people he killed. 
Um, it's a very small thing, but here's the one thing that stood out to me as I re read through this was um, your sin affects other people. That, that I think many times in our lives we want to justify the things that we do that they only hurt ourselves. That we're the only ones involved. This is something between me and God. It has nothing to do with the people around me. But the bottom line is, is as I sat and I thought, every sin I commit basically affects somebody in some way or another and not positively. And so many times we lie to ourselves and we say that these decisions we make only affect ourselves, but we are built as relational, as communal people. And God created us that way. And our sin, our actions affect so many people around us that sometimes we don't even know. I mean, let me ask you a question right now and think about this. How many times have you ever made a decision or maybe like maybe even a big decision in your life because of what somebody said or what somebody did and they have no idea the impact they had on your life? They have no idea that they, you changed your mind about something or you went and did something else because of something they said and they have no idea. It's because what they probably don't even remember they said it. I know I do. I probably do that every single day. And it scares me sometimes to think about the effect that I might have on the people around us, let alone the sin that I might have that I do and how it affects the people around us. The things we do matter. It affects people. We are in a relational people. Paul describes this very thing as he's writing to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth is struggling with the fact of, of you have Jews and Gentiles trying to live in harmony. And they're, they're trying to figure out what are the laws that need to be followed. The old Jewish laws need to be followed. What are, what are these Gentiles what things? And he, and he writes to them talking about food sacrificed to idols. And he says... But the food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. But he said, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who has this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat? what has been sacrificed to idols. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You see, our sin, and that is a very blatant one verse talking about one specific thing, but it's true. Our sin affects people around us. Our selfishness, our addictions, our struggles, they hurt the relationships around us and they affect people. And I think it's a quick reminder because I think so too often we believe the lie that Satan tells us that our sin isn't hurting anybody but ourselves. But I think it's important to remember that God has made us woven with other people and that everything we do ripples and affects the people around us. And I think Samson... It's a great story because so many things he does. And as, we, as you read on in this story of Samson, as we look at it, what happens next, you can see it even worse, this idea of our sins affecting other people. And so Samson, then he, as he goes to, have, to marry this woman, this Philistine woman, 
He then tells that they, they bring in these other Philistines, which is tradition, and they, they, they're going to have like a party for five days. And so Samson tells them this riddle and makes a bet with them. If you can solve this riddle, you know, I will give you these five cloaks, basically. And, and, uh, <laughs> and the riddle's about the bee being in the lion, and they can't solve it. And so they go back to his fiance and start bugging her, bugging her. You gotta, you gotta find out what this is. What, what did you do? Did you bring that sin man in to make us broke? So she floors herself on the floor crying to Samson, please tell me, please tell me what the riddle is. And this is kind of a constant problem that Samson has with Philistine women. Um, and so he tells her the answer to the riddle. Then she tells the friends, the friends come back and say, oh, we've solved the riddle. Samson gets upset. He leaves to go get these cloaks to pay off his bet and beats people and takes them from him to pay off his bet. In the meantime, okay, we still following here? In the meantime, the father-in-law thinks Samson hates this girl and leaves. So he gives the, his daughter to one of the companions who consummates the marriage. Samson returns to pay off his bets, goes to see his wife, and finds out that she's with another man because her father-in-law sent her that way. Samson then gets upset again, goes back, rounds up 300 foxes, ties torches to their tails, and sends them out to burn all the Philistine crops. Okay, we following along so far? We're gonna keep going. Then the Philistines find out it was Samson who burnt down the crops, and then burns down the house and kills his father-in-law and his wife. And now we're gonna pick up the story again. As I said, the sins of Samson, as they multiply, as, as his actions, things, the counter reactions get worse and worse. And we're gonna pick up the story at the end of this story now and read about what happens next. Oh, excuse me, I forgot one part. So then Samson, after he does this, after he burns the crops, he goes, hides in a cave. The Israelites come to him because the Philistines are looking for Samson, and, and Samson says, are you going to kill me? And they say, no, we're going to tie you up, and we're going to take you to the Philistines. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. And it says, as he approached Lee, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Samson, in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Quite the poet, Samson was. You know, to be totally honest with you guys, like I've, I've honestly, you know, I preach maybe once, twice a year, and I've, I've kind of always wanted to do a sermon on Samson, but I think the thing that's made it difficult for me when I'm thinking about Samson is one of the things about Samson, um, going back to the Tiger Woods analogy, it's hard to put yourself in his shoes, right? Like he's not a very relatable guy. I mean... For me, he is, but maybe not for all you guys. Maybe it's hard. I thought it might be hard for you guys to relate. Really strong, long hair. I see a lot of myself in Samson. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, Samson's just a guy. He was so powerful. 
you know? And this is a guy, as you read throughout the story of Samson, like, and you see it in his action, this is a man that just took what he wanted. Like, he, he was so powerful and feared no man, didn't fear an army. And it's kind of hard, like, as so many decisions we make are ourselves is lots of times based on maybe like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to break the logs. I'm not going to get in trouble. And, and we look at our celebrities the same way. As the choices they can make, the, the, the power that they wield, like, it's like, man, I think we look at our celebrities in two ways. We either look at them and say, man, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes because I couldn't deal with the temptations they face. Or two, we go, how could you blow it when you had everything? Right? Those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. And I think it's the same way with Samson. We look at him the same way. But I guess my point is this, and the thing that really kind of hit me this week as I was praying over this and looking at this is, we have far more power than we ever realize. And I'll say this, especially in this country, Growing up in this country, we have far more power than we ever realize we have just from the physical sense of this is we live in the richest nation ever, ever. Our middle class and our lower class are still richer than majority of the world. And we're richer than anybody has ever been ever. And we have technology that nobody has ever thought of ever in the history of the world. So Samson could kill a thousand men. You have access at your fingertips to reach millions of people like this. You could be doing it right now on your phone. Think about this for a minute. The amount of money that you could probably make in a year, or I mean in a month, you could probably buy a plane ticket to anywhere in the world. Probably about 98% of this world cannot do that. For a majority of the world, that thought of flying anywhere is unattainable. And here's the other thing. You were lucky enough to be born in a country where you have the freedom to almost travel to any country you want. I've been to, I've been to the U.S. embassies in other countries and seen the lines of people trying to get into this country, and very few of them ever will. With a few hundred bucks and a, and a U.S. passport, you can get almost anywhere you want in the world. The power in that. Think about the power that's at your fingertips because you have internet access almost everywhere you go. I drive around a lot for work. I work in agriculture. I drive around. I see a lot of... I can tell you what five-minute stretches of road doesn't have internet access or phone service because it affects my life that much. I know exactly the milepost to milepost because when I lose service, it affects my life that much. But think of the power you have because of that. The power to reach people. The power to do things that a lot of people in this world don't have the ability to do. And think about the, the power to sin like nobody else can. The temptations that we face that comes with living in a country like this the temptations of free time, the temptations of paid vacation, the temptation that comes where we can walk outside and we're gonna do what? We're gonna get in our car and do what? Drive wherever we wanna go, if you can afford the gas. 
But you guys, so many times we read these stories in the Old Testament that are crazy and wild and killing thousands of people and God empowering people to break the walls of cities down. And we think, yeah, man, that'd be crazy to have power like that. But could you imagine one of them coming to, to come and see the way we live today and say, man, the power that you guys have at your fingertips. And the question is, I hope they don't look at us and say, man, how'd you blow it, Zach? How'd you waste it? How could you be so stupid? Because that's what we do so many times when we read the story of Samson, is go, man, you were an idiot. Man, you were selfish. Man, you didn't care. Because if you read the story of Samson, there's not really one time where he says anything redeeming. It mainly shows how selfish he was. But like I said, I think a lot of people could look at my own life and say the same thing because of the power that I wield that I don't think about because I think it's just so culturally normal. We have huge power at our fingertips, but we also have huge responsibility and we also have huge temptations. And I think Samson is a great story that relates to how we live in today's world and especially here in the United States, and given the fact of the blessing, the temptation that we have being in this country. Ephesians says this. This is a prayer for the church at Ephesus. It says, I pray that our glorious, that of, excuse me, I'm gonna try again. Can I try again? Is that okay? I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And that's, that's my prayer for all of us too. That although we wield all this power because of the culture and the thing we live in, that we'll really find our power in the love of Christ and using the power we have in this culture to share that love with Christ. Here's the third lesson. Have I made you feel guilty enough yet? Just kind of point. It's kind of way we're going here. The third point. Um, let's go on with the story of Samson. So next, so that gal, that Philistine woman's gone. So later on in the story, we're going to talk about his death. So if you don't know, Samson finds another Philistine woman named Delilah. And now Delilah wants to know what Samson's power is that gives him the strength because he too is good. She too is going to betray him to the Philistine men. So she asked him these three things, like if I, if I bound her, he said, if I bound your hands with a certain ropes, that'll make me weak. And then the Philistines bust in and Samson busts the ropes up and beats them all down. And Delilah comes back again, back again. And finally he tells her, he's worn down and tells her, it's my hair. And so she, he falls asleep, she cuts her hair, the Philistines bust in and they finally capture Samson. They gouge his eyes out. They gouge his eyes out. They, they, they make a mockery of him. I mean, this is a man who's killed thousands 
over a thousand Philistines, and they finally have him. And he, his eyes are gouged out. He's chained. They're just making a mockery of him, as you can imagine, them just, just bringing him out for fun. And that's where we pick it up. And then, oh, excuse me. And then they take him. And so, they, excuse me, this is where we pick it up. is after they take him out and they, and they watch him. And it says, then Samson prayed to God. O sovereign Lord, remember me. Please strengthen me just one more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them and his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So, <laughs> here's the thing about Samson. Um, like I said, it's hard to really find a redeeming quality about the man actually of Samson. Think about it. Even at the end of his life, he prays, he reaches out to God, and what does he say? He wants revenge for himself, for his eyes. Never does he really say anything about the Israelite people. Never does he really show any love for anybody else. Really, Samson, from the record we have, was about Samson. When the Israelites come to the cave, all he says to the Israelites are, are you going to kill me? Besides beginning the, rest of, beginning the liberation from the Philistines and judging over Israel for 20 years, those are basically the two good things Samson did, as we can tell. But here's what I want you guys to mainly hear today. Is this story is not so much about Samson. I think there's some lessons for us in there that we can, that we can glean from. But the reality is, this is a story about God. This is a story about what God can do with broken people. And I hope this is an encouragement for you. Because honestly, Samson, like so many, so many of the Old Testament characters, was a broken guy. And God still used him to do his work. I think one of the most beautiful parts of the story is I think one of the things that also stuck out to me when I think about a lot of the New Testament stories, you know, because this is a theme throughout the history of the Bible. This is a theme throughout the history of God. And this is what God is about, is about taking and restoring broken people and he knows we're broken. He knows we're busted, but he still loves us and he cares for us and he's still gonna do his work because the bottom line, if God wasn't gonna do work through broken, busted people, he wouldn't do work through people, right? But I think what's so beautiful about the story is many times I feel like when we read the New Testament stories, you know, we read about Saul who persecuted the Christians and then became Paul and turned his life around. We read about the disciples, you know, who were rejects, tax collectors, zealots, and they find Jesus and then they go on their journey and they, they turn their life around. But we look at Samson, who messed up and messed up and messed up, and God still does amazing things through him.
And what a lesson that is for us as we, as like I said, we talked about earlier. Because you may be sitting here today and going, Zach, you know what? I know my sin affects people. I know my sin affects people. I see the damage it does every single day. And I go to bed at night and feel horrible about it. I know I have power over things and I know I'm abusing it. I know I'm not using it very well. I know I've been given all these opportunities and all this power and I'm just using it to sin, which is hurting the people around me. And here's the thing, we all are. We're all broken. We all abuse it, but you know what? God can still use you. God still loves you. He's forgiven you. And he still can use you for his good. And that's a beautiful message about a God who loves us so much that we're not just going to work our way and do all the right things and then God will use you. That God knows we're broken and busted. He knows the sin that we have in our lives, but he still wants to use us to show his love to other people. And what a beautiful story that is. And I think Samson, like I said, everything is magnified when it's big. But I want you to remember this, that he still, at the end of his days, did reach out to God. And I hope we do the same thing, that when we're feeling broken, when we're feeling busted, that we reach out to God and you still have an opportunity to be used. It's not one, two, three strikes, you're out. But God still has a plan for you. And God can still use you to do amazing things for his kingdom. And I hope we're ready and we're willing to do those things for him as well.